Chapter Forty Seven of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Ray Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Chapter Forty Seven From Darkness into Light within ten days of that balmy summer afternoon on which morton blake had sat beside mrs green's deathbed and heard from dying lips the story of the past the church bell was tolling heavily upon the sultry july air and a modest funeral train was slowly winding its way across the level fields to the old churchyard they were taking poor tired out lucy to her last rest the widower led the little procession serious for once in his useless frivolous life holding sad sensible mattie by the hand the girl grave with a sense of new responsibilities but tearless though her pallid cheeks bore the traces of many tears the little ones followed stumbling over the clover and sorrel bloom looking about them with vague wonder as if surprised to see the flowers so bright and the sky so blue while their poor mammy was being carried to the black ugly pit-hole of the nature of which last resting place they had derived somewhat pagan views from the conversation of the small servant-maid and lastly with the youngest girl's chubby hand in hers came dulcie robed in black with sweet mournful face and downcast eyes mr hallamond started a little when he saw dulcie in the group of humble mourners his heart thrilled at this latest proof of her tenderness her sympathy with all human sorrow this was true christianity an unconscious imitation of the divine master who never turned from human sorrow who was never deaf to the mourner's cry what a lovely world this would be if all women were of her mould he thought death would indeed lose its sting sorrow would be tempered with joy later when they were standing by the open grave and the clods of clay fell with dismal sound upon the coffin lid poor mattie's fortitude suddenly gave way she flung herself down by the edge of the grave with a shrill despairing cry mother mother then dulcie gently raised her from the ground and held her in her arms the streaming eyes hidden on her shoulder till the last sad words had been spoken when she drew the sobbing girl away keeping her arm round her while they walked slowly to the gate oh let me stop let me stop cried mattie i am not going to leave her there all alone dear child she is not there she is not alone she is in paradise with the happy souls that rest from their labors waiting for the coming of their god 
You know she is not there, Maddie. You know that the soul cannot die. That if you do your duty here, you will see her and be happy with her in heaven. Yes, I know, I know, sobbed Maddie. I try to believe, but it is very hard. After having seen her in her coffin, not to remember that she is lying there in that dark hole please please miss courtney let me go back and sit beside her for a little while not to-day dear we will both go to-morrow and take some flowers for her grave you must come home with me now hadn't i better go with the little ones if i mustn't go with her no dear your father will take care of them mr green will you let maddie go home with me for an hour or two oh miss courtney i'm proud for you to notice her said the impressionable musician with tears in his eyes so dulcie led maddie across the fields to fairview comforting her with sweet hopeful words as they went along once maddie embarrassed her by a sudden question yes miss i know what you are telling me is all true but if it was your father who was lying in that grave do you think the thought of seeing him in heaven after years and years when you are an old woman would make up to you for the loss of him now not just at first perhaps maddie but i think the hope would be brighter and stronger every day if i could believe that my father were sure of heaven added dulcie in a low voice oh miss courtney a gentleman like your papa would never do anything wrong protested maddie with conviction almost as if she would have said of such is the kingdom of heaven they went into dulcie's morning room where the sun was shining through the stained glass in the old tudor window and where the octagon table stood ready with tea things and cakes and strawberries in white china baskets never had maddie's eyes beheld such a table a feast so delicately tempting yet so arcadian in its simplicity the brightness of the room with its variety of color dazzled the girl's eyes she forgot even her grief in her wonder at this glimpse of an unknown world the world of wealth and taste dulcie made her little friend sit down in one of the low basket chairs by a tiny tea-table and then she waited upon her and petted her and coaxed her to eat a few strawberries and to drink a refreshing cup of tea while she was kneeling at maddie's side tempting her languid appetite with pound cake and big strawberries scroop opened the door and ushered in mr hallamond dulcie started to her feet instantly and seated herself somewhat shyly at the tea-table her cheeks dyed with unnecessary blushes i have come to beg a cup of tea said mr hallimund and to have a chat with sir everard if he is at home 
he is at home but i am taking tea an hour earlier than usual on mattie's account will you go to papa's study for your talk yes when you have given me some tea well mattie miss blake tells me you are going to stay at osterthorpe with us and that you hope some day to be mistress at our school mattie smiled faintly at this idea which seemed to her to suggest the wildest ambition miss blake has been very kind to us she said she is going to let us keep the cottage and we are all to live here instead of going back to poor father and she will call every day to look after us till i am old enough to take care of the little ones quite by myself are you glad to stay here very very glad father will come to see us once a month he says he would come oftener but he can't afford the railway fare you know he is to bring miss blake as much money as he can to pay for our food and different things and she will make up what is wanted don't worry yourself about money matters mattie they will be made easy to you said dulcie looking lovingly at the serious little face so aged by premature knowledge and premature care mr hallamond stayed with them for nearly an hour cheering mattie by his kindness and exercising as soothing an influence upon dulcie's spirits though she would scarcely have owned as much an indescribable sense of peace stole over her mind as she sat by the open window looking idly across the rich summer landscape and listening to arthur hallamond's voice as he talked of his day's experiences in and about osthorpe he spent the greater part of every day in visiting among his parishioners most thoroughly fulfilling the promise of his first sermon that he would be one with them in their griefs and in their joys he kept his evenings only for his books which were the delight of his life at last he rose very reluctantly and wished dulcie good-bye i may not see you when i leave your father he said and though she was longing to ask him to come back to the morning room when his business in the study was over she had not courage to utter the simple request that would have ensured his return there must be something formidable about him though he is so kind she thought for i cannot help feeling afraid of him she had seen him several times since their meeting in mattie's chamber but he had never troubled her by the slightest allusion to their conversation that day he had been so completely at ease with her so calmly kind that she found it difficult to believe that this was the same man who had so passionately declared his love his perfect tranquillity of manner reassured her and though she could not feel quite at her ease in his presence she had no fear of his troubling her peace 
by pressing his suit any further i hope he will always be my friend she said to herself i will not forfeit his friendship for the world mr hallaman found sir everard in the book-room he was sitting at his writing-table in front of the open window books and papers were before him but he was utterly idle looking out at the landscape over which the yellow light was changing to the softer hues of evening he held out his hand to arthur hallamond without a word a curious friendship had grown up between the two men the elder seemed to lean upon the younger as upon a favorite son sir everard the proud solitary man who in twenty years had not made a single friend had given friendship and confidence without stint to the newcomer but there are men of rare qualities of mind and heart who have a magnetic power in winning friendship and it may be that arthur hallamond was one of these you are not looking well sir everard he said gently as he slipped into a chair by the baronet's side i am not well i am never liked to be well don't let us waste words upon my wretched health but i will talk about it i think you are using yourself very cruelly you ought to be driving about the country with miss courtney or basking in the sunshine on your lawn but you shut yourself in this room and brood over your books from morning till midnight i have no wish to lengthen my days not for your daughter's sake not even for dulcie's sake we have drifted far apart of late i am no longer necessary to her happiness she will be happier more at peace when i am gone she loves you with all her strength for her sake life ought to be dear to you oh sir everard i think you must have read my heart before now you must feel that i could not have been so often in your daughter's society without learning to love her she has grown dearer to me than anything else in life except duty i am a poor man entirely dependent on a profession that may not give me more than bread and cheese till my hair is gray and dulcie is an heiress yet i am so sure of my power to make her happy to guard her from all care and sorrow to make her life bright and fair and full of meaning for her that i am not ashamed to ask you to help me to win her i am not afraid to offer myself as your son-in-law sir everard remained silent for some minutes with his head sunk upon his breast in earnest thought i should like you to marry her he said at last with deliberation there was a time when i had what people call higher views i wanted my dear one to be the future countess of block mardine belleville is a fine frank open-hearted fellow and i believe he would have made her a good husband but that is hopeless she doesn't care a straw about him 
and she never will he is just one of those excellent generous-hearted young men who never can win a woman's love if he were a plausible scoundrel he might have a better chance but you yes you would make her happy you would be staunch and true you would love and honor her to the end of your life or hers for her own sake do not speak of her fortune the thought of that has no influence upon me wealth has never given me happiness and it could never of itself make her happy but you and she together would use money as a means of happiness for many yes she would be happy with you i believe hallamond if the respect she now feels for you could ever deepen into love let her tell me that she loves you and you may marry her as soon afterwards as you like my most urgent prayer is to see her happily married before i die i thank you with all my soul cried arthur hallamond grasping sir everett's hand you are the noblest the most generous-minded of men do not thank me till you know more as my daughter's future husband for i believe you may win her if you try there is a page of my history that you ought to know be so good as to see that the door is closed and then come back to your chair i will tell you what i mean the two men were closeted till the gong sounded for dinner dulcie wondering what had kept her father's guests so long they did not dine till eight o'clock at this time of year so as to get the most enjoyment out of the summer weather the gong had sounded for nearly ten minutes when sir everard and arthur hallimund came into the morning room where dulcie was sitting in a despondent attitude before the piano one hand resting idly on the keys the other supporting her drooping head dulcie take mr hallimund's arm said her father he is going to spend the evening with us she started up with a brightening face and obeyed her father without a word mr hallimund saw the lovely change in her countenance and his heart glowed at the thought that she was pleased and cheered by his reappearance there had certainly been a little look of regret in her soft blue eyes when he wished her good-bye oh dulcie dulcie it is well for you to submit to fate he said to himself as they crossed the hall for i mean you to be mine it was long since there had been such a happy dinner for dulcie yet mr hallamond was grave and even absent in his manner as if his mind was overcrowded with thought and her father was no brighter than usual the joy and peace in dulcie's heart had arisen within her in some mysterious way she knew not from what source this new sense of gladness came but she could not hide from herself that she was glad she looked across the table shyly and met the curate's earnest gaze 
and her drooping eyelids hardly dared to lift themselves during the rest of the meal yet it seemed to her as if the warmth of that dark glance were on her like sunlight all the time filling her heart with the rapture of life's summer after dinner they went back to the morning room and dulcie was glad to take refuge at her piano how tremendously her fingers touched the first notes of that favorite nocturne then how the passion of the music added new force to this strange new gladness in her soul till every note seemed to vibrate within her as if the melody were the very breath of her life an emanation of her own mind the room was dimly lighted by two lamps under velvet shades just as much light as made darkness visible dulcy played on believing that her father was still seated yonder in his low armchair by the wide tiled hearth where a group of choice ferns replaced the winter logs she had scarcely lifted her eyes from the notes since she had placed herself at the piano but presently while her hands were gliding over the keys in a slow legato movement mr hallamund seated himself at her side and laid his hands upon hers she looked up startled and blushing and saw that her father's chair was empty and that she and arthur hallamund were alone dulcie my darling you are playing exquisitely but for me to-night there is more music in your voice than in all chopin ever wrote my dearest love look up i have been talking to your father and he has given me leave to win you if i can and i mean to do it he has done more than that he has told me that it will make him happy to see you my wife he can say that cried dulcie shuddering away from the arm that would have drawn her to her lover's breast my father can ask any honorable man to marry his daughter knowing what he knows what i know my dearest he has confided in me he has told me all all yes he has told me the dark secret of his life and i am deeply sorry for him sorry for him yes one cannot help being sorry for him what must i feel who have loved him and been loved by him all these years but will god have compassion upon him as we have can his sin find pardon i can it will if he is sincerely penitent, as i believe he is god will assuredly pardon but to let that innocent man suffer was not that a terrible sin it was a sin but i do not believe your father would have let his life be sacrificed had there been no commutation of his sentence remember the penalty vargas actually paid was only the just punishment of his actual guilt how good you are what a load you have taken off my mind 
said Dulcie. Yes, I know he is penitent. Twenty years of sorrow, that is a long atonement, is it not? God will accept that atonement, love. Oh, to think that, to believe that, after all I have suffered for the last few months, said Dulcie. It is like coming from darkness into light. And Dulcie, my beloved, are you going to leave me in darkness? This world would be very dark for me without you. My dearest, is my case hopeless? I fancied tonight that I saw a ray of hope in your eyes. Her eyelids were lowered obstinately, while her left hand strayed idly over the keys, lightly touching the melody she had just been playing. Arthur Hallamond put his arm round her waist and drew her head upon his shoulder unreproved. It nestled there as if it had found its most natural shelter. Dulcie, does this mean that I am to be happier than I ever pictured to myself in my wildest dreams? It means that I love you dearly, faltered Dulcie, though I hate myself for being so horribly fickle. Are you not afraid of marrying such a weathercock? I fear nothing but my own unworthiness. Dulcie, you have made me unutterably happy. Please don't despise me, she murmured softly, but I am afraid I love you better than ever I loved Morton. End of chapter 47 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.